I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Uh, hey, Garb, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. Uh, and you? I'm doing good. And uh, I just wanted to share uh, who you are with our audience real quick so they kind of have a little bit of context. And if I miss anything, feel free to kind of shout that out. Um, so you're the co-founder of Treasure, Treasure Dow, and you're kind of in charge of growth. Um, and you're so you're kind of leading that Treasure team, which I hear is growing pretty quickly. Like, I think I just saw something on Twitter that you guys have now around like 40 full-time slash part-time people that are working at Treasure Dow, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so that's cool. There's a lot of growth going on. So I'm sure you're, you're really busy with that. And then you've been kind of doing some things with Toadstools, which is a, a treasure ecosystem project. So I think you've been helping with that some. Um, so yeah, we're just excited to kind of learn from you, kind of learn from your experience moving into the Web3 world and building kind of in this ecosystem. So thanks for, thanks for coming on and sharing with us. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. It's um, definitely been a, a wild ride. Um, I think kind of seven months or six or seven months since I um, kind of left, uh, I guess, full time and kind of joined the, the treasure team. Uh, well, I guess it's a little bit less than that because I was doing a little bit of the old um, double work for a while, which was uh, very hardcore. But um, no, it's, uh, it's been a um, very fun time. That's awesome. So uh, hopefully the listeners have an idea what treasure is at least i did another episode or two previously on treasure so if you're you guys are listening and want to have an idea what we're talking about here jump back to that episode and you'll you'll see one of my other guests that's kind of from the ecosystem kind of talk about it and stuff um, but i'm curious from you garp just kind of going back um, from what i understand you know john kind of started this treasure idea and then like a week or two later you kind of joined him in co-founding treasure so Take us back to like how that happened, how you found John and this idea and how you decided like, I'm going to go for this, this thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, it's quite interesting. I, uh, I think a lot of people kind of heard my, um, my journey as they've kind of heard me um, speak before, but uh, it was around the time where the loot derivatives uh, were kind of uh, quite, um, quite popular, you know, loot as a concept, this kind of very open, uh, expansive kind of idea of kind of bottom up building you know, literally eight words on a page, um, quite kind of a foreign and novel concept to a lot of people, but I guess it took a lot of people's imagination, um, you know, and, and hearts at, at the time, and obviously a lot of speculation. Uh, and then from kind of from there, and that was around the, you know, August, September um, of last year, from there, we saw, you know, an influx of derivatives, um, as you do, um, of, you know, lots of crazes. Uh, and then, you know, Treasure was one of them. Uh, and it was very, very similar in the sense that it was eight words on a page again, um, on a black background, but it was um, kind of geared around resources um, and economic resources to kind of drive this, you know, form of social coordination. So, I mean, in all honesty, I actually, you know, I bought the top <laughs> and then I joined the Discord. Um, thereafter, I became the meme of a community member. I kind of jumped in the Discord, but you know, as I was starting to kind of um, roam around in there, starting to talk to people, um, there was uh, some interesting dialogue going on. It wasn't just, you know, the, the standard, um, you know, wind, moon kind of, um, floor mm. uh, kind of discussion. There was something a little bit deeper, um, which was great. Uh, so I kind of threw out some ideas around like potentially where we could take it. I think given John's background in kind of DeFi uh, as well, and you know I've spent a lot of my time in kind of DeFi um, kind of prior to that point, just as like a, a casual user um, and just like general general interest. 
um, I, we, I guess we kind of uh, resonated with a lot of our ideas. So kind of just threw out some kind of some thoughts around you know, what we could actually do around the model and where we can kind of go forward. Basically just jumped on a call uh, with John and a couple of other kind of co-founders at the time. And I guess the, the rest is kind of history. Like at that point, they'd only really just started the initial treasure farm, which was, you know, you could stake um, loot, treasure bags, um, the end project or a gold for a static amount of um, magic per day. Uh, it was crazy the amount of yield um, back then relative to, to now, if you kind of think about it. You know, one of the first things I had to do, uh, well, one of the first things I proposed to do was actually start creating um, proper token sinks because at the time there was no real reason to kind of hold on to magic. Um, and so as part of that was the initial kind of staking to actually get legions themselves um, and um, incent incentives for the actual initial LP uh, pool as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy to think back to this whole thing kind of just starting and it being like a small discord, like you're saying with some people chatting where it's like, now it's gotten to the point where there's, you know, tons of projects kind of built around treasure. Like, I think there's like, I don't know, 50 or so. And, you know, obviously a ton that are like in the works right now. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool to see something start from such a small little nugget and um, grow kind of beyond that point. So at that time, like, were you... I mean, I'm guessing you still had another job, right? Did you just like leave that job and go full in on treasure or how did that like transitions happen? Yeah. So I guess one of the upsides of um, working from home, you know, off the back of, uh, of, of the COVID um, and for those who can probably tell from my accent, I'm, I'm based in Australia. <clears throat> so working from home was a, a pretty big thing. We're just going through, I guess, our second big wave. Um, I've, I've been in crypto since 2017. Um, I've had a pretty strong interest for a, for a long time. Um, I've always wanted to do something full-time in kind of Web3 crypto. Um, this is actually my second stint at kind of doing it. The, the first time I had to rejoin the old corporate world because of um, family reasons, but um, <clears throat> kind of touched on that in the past. But I, I, I guess I was really searching for a, a way kind of back in and engaging with the community is the, is the best way, um, I think. And so I really didn't, you know, pull the trigger, so to speak, in kind of making that move full-time until probably I would say like maybe a, a month, a month and a half after I'd started, you know, actively contributing. But, you know, at that time, I, I mean, I literally was working two jobs. Um, <laughs> it was pretty full on. I've got a, a young child as well. So it was just, it was pretty hard juggling kind of family uh, and, and two jobs. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, the nature of my you know, old world uh, was pretty full on as well. Um, so, you know, I come from a kind of corporate strategy, kind of M&A background. So um, it, it it does get like pretty full on at the time. There was like a small lull. So it, I guess allowed me to um, dedicate a bit more time to this. But yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I think I have a very, um, you know, uh, open and um, appreciative kind of a, um, partner in allowing me to kind of make a pretty big leap for the second time. Um, uh, into kind of the Web3 world, particularly this time where, uh, you know, I was pretty much joining a bunch of Manons um, in the world. And I, I think mm -hmm. just joining, like, you know, the concept of a DAO where, I mean, John was kind of docked and so was the other co-founder at the time, uh, Utah, but basically everyone else wasn't. Um, and even now, uh, you know, we've got a team, as you mentioned, probably up to kind of 40 if you include all the, um, you know, part-time and other contributors, perhaps probably larger than that. But, you know, for the most part, uh, I've not seen their faces before. <laughs> I don't know the real mm -hmm. names. Like, I do know some of them for sure, uh, like through kind of contracts and stuff. But, uh, yeah, the, you do lose that sense of um, personal touch um, and, I guess, the humanization of uh, having, like, an in-real-world uh, kind of work. And I actually do think mm -hmm. that does stagnate uh, a lot of growth as well, um, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting 
thing to think about because like you're saying like that is kind of a new phenomena that companies and DAOs are doing right now where you don't necessarily know who everyone is I can I can see that I haven't really thought about that how that could you know just maybe make it harder to like build those relationships within your company and, and really know people that's that's kind of an interesting uh angle on that um so yeah you 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 started doing this thing full time where, you know, from the beginning, I'm guessing when you kind of made that jump, you weren't getting like paid like in revenue or anything from this or like where, when did that happen to where like this could actually like pay for your, your life basically like an actual, like a, like a job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, having um, this being the second time that I've done it uh, and, you know, having a family and, and everything um, kind of associated with, you know, taking care of a family, um, I obviously wanted to de-risk. So, you know, before jumping over uh, full time, I kind of made sure to kind of de-risk that. So, um, you know, had my kind of basis covered from that, from that kind of respect. Um, you know, the, the project back then was completely self-funded. So, you know, massive kind of props to, I guess, the, the founders at the time and John and co to kind of help, um, help finance that initially but then you know i took that kind of that leap based on what was essentially a year <laughs> worth of uh equivalence of runway and then i thought you know i'm going to give this um the best guy that i can to to make this um you know to work with uh, a great team to turn this into something something huge um and so yeah there was definitely a lot of risk involved but you know i, I de-risked it to the point that I, you know to the extent that i could being a responsible yeah. parent <laughs> and family yeah. and family man yeah that's good. Um, so kind of break down, I mean, so your role is like your, you know, your co-founder, you're kind of in charge of growth, like break down, like what your role kind of day to day looks like at Treasure. Yeah, I think it's kind of evolved quite a bit. So, you know, when I first joined, it was very much around like token economics, um, like liquidity and just like general growth. And then it kind of merged into partnerships um, and just more focusing on kind of ecosystem. And then it kind of veered more towards like, co-designing kind of bridge world when that was kind of coming up um, and just like the construct around the marketplace. But then I think over time and as we scaled up, I actually moved more into, I would say, more of a corporate type kind of function. And there's pros and cons to that. But I think that's just the, you know, the byproduct of scaling so fast mm -hmm. from a people perspective. Um, and, you know, that was one of the biggest lessons um, that I think internally we learned. It's just, you know, incredibly difficult to, to scale, generally speaking. Um, if you're all in the one location, but doing that across, you know, virtually every time zone, uh, with a bunch of anons is like incredibly hard. Uh, it's, it's super, super hard. Like <laughs> anyone who's kind of thinking about doing it, like shouldn't discount how much kind of productivity you lose because of that. Um, and that kind of mm -hmm. earlier point around like just the, the personal relationships, if you kind of think about like the best teams that you kind of work with, you, you know, them on a personal level, you've got a really close relationship with people, you'll go above and beyond and stick out for people because you know them, like, you know, stuff about their kind of personal life uh, and your friends, um, not to say that everyone, we're not a family, so to speak, but like you actually know them. Uh, it's like, it's just, again, it just humanizes the, the relationship, um, the whole kind of, and I know I'm a non, so it's somewhat ironic, but um you know, no camera on, not really knowing the name, or well, maybe you don't even need to know the name, but just even just the cameras on kind of thing. Like it's quite hard to form any form of bond uh, at all. And uh, I think just straight away, it kind of puts up barriers. It's a bit of a, a weird um, situation in Web3, I think, because, you know, if you do go that extra step and you do kind of go full, uh, full docs, 
there are, there are lots of risks to it um, because unfortunately there are, um, you know, there are a lot of crazies in crypto. <laughs> like I'm just going to put it mm-hmm. out there like um, <laughs> in the community. So you don't really know what, what to do. And you've got families to look after and you see all these kind of um, uh, very uh, unsavory stories. So, but yeah, that, that's kind of that. And so at the moment, a lot of what I do is I would say more on the corporate side of things, still look after kind of token economics at the kind of group level, still try to um, focus on scaling up, getting the right process in place. But I think now it's more around enablement. So getting the right talent in place in all the, the right areas, giving them all the tools that they need to do the, the job that they need to do. Um, and I think we've got a pretty amazing team now. It's taken a while for us to get there, but we've got some like really strong kind of talent um, across like all our verticals now. Um, we've got an amazing kind of equivalent of, you know, would be a, a kind of a COO uh, in place as well. He's a, you know, an, an absolute kind of beast in that regard. Um, also comes from kind of web two. Uh, and then I guess I'm still, I, you know, I also kind of cut across uh, a number of different um, deals as well uh, from a commercial standpoint. Nice. I mean, it, it sounds like you were, well, especially in the beginning, you were kind of all over the place doing all kinds of things, jumping over. I'm sure that would have been a lot of fun. And, and like you're saying, you're now kind of helping with building the processes and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's crazy if you look back throughout what treasure's done like over the, like the first six months, like you guys put out like a ton of stuff, um, like, you know, marketplace, different NFT projects, lots of things. Like how, how did you guys move so fast in those early days? Um, I think it was just like, we had this burning passion and desire to, to create something amazing. Um, we had a pretty big ambition. Uh, and then it's literally, I, I think a large byproduct was, at the start, nearly every single member of the team, and I think it actually was like 100% of people from the team came from the community. So it, unlike, you know, maybe some other kind of startups or other businesses where you've got to you know, rope people in and you know, sell them a dream, that kind of stuff, they were already here. So they were kind of nearly vested in the dream in a lot of ways and um, that, that kind of light on the hill. So they were already here. They already kind of believed in what we're trying to do. It was just a matter of like, how can we kind of unlock these different talents? And I guess we're very fortunate in that uh, a lot of the early community members had uh, amazingly diverse talents across, you know, all the kind of key dev areas, creative, all that kind of stuff. And so we're able to ship very fast because we were small, we're very grassroots. Um, we're able to take a lot of risks um, at the start because the, you know, I guess the implications weren't um, as high at the, um, at the time, but also we had a very um, passionate and I would say forgiving community as well. Like, you know, it's impossible to do everything perfect at the start and probably only those who were um, there from the very beginning kind of, uh, kind of reflect on this, but they, there were definitely things that we um, didn't do perfectly back then, but we were given you know, permission to, to fail, um, which is a huge um, kind of, uh, you know, vote of, of confidence actually in a lot of ways, because generally in crypto, it's like, you know, you make one mistake and you're crucified um, mm-hmm. and it can be really hard to kind of make your way back, particularly if you're a young kind of project. And so we fortunately uh, came across, you know, a bunch of very early um, OGs who really believed in what we were doing. Um, very forgiving, very passionate in what we're trying to do. Um, and as you kind of mentioned at the start, they became um, evangelists. Uh, you know, I think most people who've interacted with people from Treasure would call them nearly cult-like. And they, they kind of <laughs> are in some sense, but particularly in the early days. Um, but, you know, they're extremely passionate. You know, the amount of uh, initiatives, projects, uh, analytics tools um, that they built, uh, you know, not getting any kind of compensation. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but they, they were just doing that out of the pure passion um, for the project, 
like our CEO built out Treasure Tools, which is probably one of the um, like the great kind of um, aggregators of all things kind of treasure. He did that in his spare time while working, you know, in an asset management kind of company as well. So we've just got all these amazing people who um, just genuinely want to help push us forward. And I think that's what helped us um, ship so much at the start, for sure. We then hit a crossroad because we became too big and it was very hard to do that. Uh, and, you know, we weren't this like fledgling little project anymore. Uh, we had, you know, half a billion in TVL, um, which I think not many people realized at the time, uh, you know, over, a, I think we capped at like 2 billion FTV. It was getting pretty insane for a while. And, you know, we had to take a lot more considerations for um, our decisions, the way, you know, marketing in particular, um, we were still running that like a, a small little project, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, there was still a lot of ship posting going on, which was highly engaging for the original group, but you know, the, the user base was changing. So we, we really needed to kind of take a step back and try to balance off, stay true to our roots, but also like, how do we engage people? Because now we've got new people coming in uh, and they're buying at different levels. Not that I'm saying that, you know, focus on price, but uh, it does change kind of mindset and perception. And that's just something that we learned over time that we have to be very mindful of. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like there's, you know, a lot of challenges there as, you know, guys, you guys kind of went from a, a fledgling little like project that was, you know, starting to really work and work in a big way to scaling that up. And uh, it seems like from what I've seen, like, you know, just looking from the outside, that it's been, you know, the last three, four months of kind of doing that scaling, building the teams, building the processes um, to kind of um, gear up the team and, and be ready for kind of this new phase. So can you kind of dive into a little bit of like what that, you know, this last four months, this period has kind of looked like, like how you guys have been scaling and, and what's that's that's looked like on the inside? Yeah, sure. I mean, the way we kind of think about our, our journey is merely, you know, in, in three kind of buckets in some ways. So like the first one right at the start was really around kind of proving out this notion of like social coordination around um, a resource or set of resources, which I think, you know, I feel like we did kind of validate in a lot of ways. So that was really the the magic token itself uh, around this kind of narrative of, you know, the reserve kind of currency um, or asset of the, the kind of metaverse. Obviously some people didn't buy into that strategy, some people did, but um, forming enough kind of proof points around uh, around that so that such that people could kind of build on top of us and start kind of denominating in magic. Um, and I think the, we've, we've been able to do that, that's kind of one. And then we kind of transitioned into this next phase, which is more around becoming this ecosystem um, of kind of metaverse and kind of gaming projects um, where uh, treasure nearly becomes, uh, I guess, the infrastructure layer to that. And so we're like right in the heart of that at the moment. And I'll kind of dive into that um, around the things that we probably should have done a lot better and, you know, things that we're still working on. And then I think the next evolution of that is this kind of notion of uh, treasure nearly becoming the, like the base layer, so to speak, of, of those kind of projects. And so we've, we've spoken in the past around creating our own kind of native chain um, uh, referenced like on Cosmos because of kind of John's uh, kind of connection with uh, Osmosis. But essentially that would, you know, would mean that we'd spend less time trying to build our own games, noting that it's incredibly difficult to build a game, like even people who live and breathe that um, incredibly competitive uh, just to even kind of compete in that space. So um, we should instead focus on creating infrastructure tooling uh, and kind of resources to kind of support the, the best builders. And so that's kind of our kind of next uh, phase of growth. But the last four months, I think, if you kind of think from like the, the peak of, of December, really, um, we went through explosive growth, I'd say from the launch of Small Brains, actually, like if you take a step all the way back, 
um, when we actually moved to, to Arbitrum. So you were still kind of fledgling. We knew like even um, so if you were there at the start, unraveling the treasure, uh, the treasures from like eight treasures into individual ones. If anyone remembers that, the, the gas cost to do that was <laughs> exorbitant. And, and it actually kind of forced us to kind of move to an L2 at the time. I think we were one of the first to lift our whole operation to an L2. And we're definitely one of the first to move to Arbitrum, I think. Um, mm -hmm. So just carting people across there. Then we started to move into, you know, I guess the first iteration of the, the Genesis mine. Um, we had a very high kind of lockup rate on that um, kind of in terms of circulating supply. I think it wasn't really until we launched the Treasure Marketplace, which was, you know, maybe in the same month, or I want to say kind of early November, um, and the launch of kind of Small Brains uh, and the pickup of that. And even when we first launched Small Brains, which is, you know, essentially back then was a profile pick um, at the time with a dynamic kind of background um, with, you know, very fun, uh, kind of vibrant, uh, kind of good vibe type thing. Uh, it was actually a community member, uh, Commonopoly, who started doing custom PFPs of like all these other communities. I think he was churning out like 50 a day <laughs> or 100 a day, but That's it just crazy. became viral. Um, became viral. All the other community members kind of picking it up uh, and it just became really fun. And there was lots of kind of stories and narrative that people were building on top of each other. Uh, and it, it kind of exploded to the point where, you know, Gary Vee kind of came on, was on CNBC. And actually it's funny because the, the small brain that was kind of pictured on CNBC uh, was actually a custom small. It wasn't even one of the... Um, the original collections it was actually one of commonopolis custom smalls and that was put alongside you know um like a, a bassy and a kind of punk and that was kind of peak virality um i would say and then we kind of go you know over to the new year into the launch uh, of bridge world in january um so there was lots of kind of work done uh, into kind of building up and the launch of the kind of the atlas mine um so that was a, a huge push uh and then i'd say that was kind of like the the peak um nearly uh well i guess of macro market and of, of treasure in a lot of ways that's where we really started to feel the issues of scaling because we nearly, uh, I think we faced a little bit of like, we tried to scale too horizontally at the time, but we had too many products on the fly. Um, and even though we were scaling up the team, uh, trying to, and you know, we kind of describe it as this, trying to like design the plane, make the plane at the same time as like <laughs> flying it is incredibly hard, particularly in this kind of Web3 DAO construct. Uh, and so we, yeah. we definitely came across like organizational issues. Um, so we're definitely taking a really deep look at um, consolidating that. I think going back to the core, focusing on what we're good at, delivering exceptional kind of products um, that we do do, and then enabling others to kind of build on top of us as just like a, a design principle. Um, and that's kind of how we kind of see that going forward. And then I think the other kind of momentum killer was the marketplace exploit. So mm -hmm. that was very unfortunate, but it was a double-edged sword in a way because it actually gave us a really stark reminder that we do need to slow down um, and we, you know, we can't just focus on like shipping as the first um, order uh, thing that we, we used to do. We now need to kind of take a step back, slow down to the extent that, that we should, given our size um, and the responsibility um, of stuff that we're taking on board now from a, a very broad array, array of users um, mm -hmm. and actually focusing on building out the, the frameworks, the processes that we need to, to scale um, in, a, in an efficient way. And I think we've done that pretty well now. It's taken a long time to get there. So I um, appreciate everyone's patience, uh, communication, and just forming, I guess, the right uh, kind of channels and means of communication has been a big one for us, um, but we're, we're kind of still working through that. Yeah. No, thanks for kind of going through that history of, yeah, the history of Treasure and those kind of those different points. Um, I think like I found treasure in January, probably like mid January. So probably at like the height that you were talking about. Um, like I didn't even know when small brains was released cause I came after that. So that, that's good to know where some of those, uh, points were. 
Um, so you kind of talked about like some of the the challenges in like communication and stuff. And like I can imagine, you know, especially with what you guys are building now, where it's like you're building the console, like the Nintendo console that all these different kind of games and cartridges kind of go into, which means, you know, you probably have like a, a, a pretty wide amount or, or a wide variety of kinds of users and people that might be interested in the treasure ecosystem and different games and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, what have been some of the challenges of marketing for like, you know, what, you know, what even explaining like what even like treasure is and, and, and getting people to kind of understand, um, kind of what, what you guys do. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think one of the challenges for Treasure since day one has been, um, you know, on face value, it's incredibly complicated uh, and complex in a lot of ways. I, I think it wasn't until we were able to distill it down into, you know, the decentralized kind of Nintendo in some ways. It's kind of catchy. I know it's, it's probably a little bit cliche, but it helps people, you know, form an analog to, to what we're trying to do. Um, and then it's kind of breaking that down. And I, I think there was definitely some, you know, evolution of what that vision meant. Um, as we learn more. And I think that's the um, the really fun and kind of fascinating part about kind of Web3, this space moves so fast um, that you really need to keep your kind of ears to the ground um, to kind of to see where where the market is moving. Um, not knee-jerk reaction, but just to, to make sure that you're, you're, you're still kind of um, very aware of where um, the, the users uh, are kind of going and then just generally where the technology is heading as well. Like from a marketing perspective, that's definitely been, I think, one of our biggest uh, weaknesses throughout this whole time. Uh, we've not really had anyone with a proper, I would say, you know, really seasoned um, kind of brand comms um, experience. Uh, and that's kind of shown through, you know, various kind of things, like just basic stuff like having a proper marketing strategy with a marketing plan, um, ideas around kind of segmentation of users, uh, what channels, why, uh, what and how type of thing. It kind of sounds very basic if you come from kind of uh, the old world kind of Web 2, but it's just mm -hmm. something that we've kind of lost. Um, well, we just didn't have along the way. I think... Part of that was a byproduct of, you know, we were very kind of grassroots and kind of grungy, I guess, in a lot of ways. And kind of the, the things that got us to where we are are not going to be the same things, I guess, up to the next stage of growth. And it, it took us a little bit of time of, and, and reflection to kind of realize that. Um, but we've got uh, amazing community members and, you know, huge kind of props to them uh, around like helping us get get the word out and help us still still down. Uh, so we've got, you know, amazing kind of community members who kind of build it out. We've kind of got majors whose sole focus is on education. Um, and breaking them down into, you know, bite-sized chunks. We've got um, OGs as well who kind of uh, break it out into kind of really interesting threads uh, to kind of push that messaging out as well. But I think like right now, we're just trying to, again, to your point, distill it down into something a little bit more simple. Uh, and then we've just recently built out, um, you know, a pretty detailed stakeholder engagement plan internally to, to your point to actually identify all the various and very diverse um, set of stakeholders that we have. Uh, and they are quite diverse and their needs uh, are very, very different. Um, and because we are, I guess, an ecosystem, the the breadth of the types of people that you're engaging with is like so, so diverse such that um, it's quite hard because a lot of the messaging, you know, for one person or one set of um, stakeholders might be positive to them, but at the same time, it's going to have a negative impact to it to another. And just finding the right balance in that is is quite hard, particularly in a down market where everyone's down bad mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, the reflexivity of, of crypto is amplified. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I, like, I've even seen it kind of in the whole crypto NFT kind of space as a whole. Like, it, you know, there's definitely like a, 
a vibe of like, you know, people are more negative when the, the market's down. People aren't, you know, when when everything's up, everyone's happy, everyone's excited. So I'm sure that can be, you know, I'm sure that can take a toll as a builder to kind of be in the middle of that um, with, you know, maybe communities down because things are down or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that could be tough too as a builder. Um, let's see. So one question I'm interested about because you know the whole the whole thing with treasure is having the magic token that's kind of connected to all these different projects and so and and, and you mentioned that you know you were kind of really uh, ahead in charge of kind of the tokenomics early on um, but curious like how do you balance the tokenomics amongst like all these different projects and all these different projects that are utilizing magic and um, you, you know that, that I mean, that definitely seems like a challenging problem. So, just curious, like, how do you think about that, and how do you, yeah, how do you solve that? Yeah, it's been a, a bit of an evolution. So, you know, from the start, it was really around like, what is the kind of the thesis behind magic, and that, again, that kind of reserve asset, um, kind of reserve currency was kind of like, like at the core. Um, and I think the other thing was like establishing it as a nearly a store of value from kind of day one. So it follows, um, you know, pretty similar to like the kind of Bitcoin halving schedule, but obviously on a, a much shorter kind of time frame. But I think that just kind of set the scene and just the broader narrative for, for what it is and what it's trying to do. Um, so as distinct from, I think, a lot of other GameFi tokens, which are either just pure governance tokens, although appreciating for legal reasons as well, it's framed like that. Um, that kind of kind of set the tone uh, for that. And then we've been able to kind of layer in various forms of utility. I would say like at the start, uh, we leaned a lot more heavily into, I guess, our DeFi experience. So we use the kind of the V curve um, model at the start through the mines, uh, which then kind of leans into the, the governance. So, you know, stake magic for a time lock period, the longer your time lock um, gives you a greater weighting um, of voting. We're constantly kind of revising that, you know, is that actually the, the right method to use? Like, should we uh, kind of distribute that more such that, you know, it's not just whales who kind of dominate um, kind of governance because we've seen where that can end. And, um, you know, we're very kind of reflective on, on the, I guess, the pros and cons of, of DeFi um, on, on that sense. And as we kind of evolve the, uh, what magic could be, uh, particularly as we moved into, I guess, the ecosystem play, is really kind of think, starting to think through. And I guess one of the big things that have been thrown to us, like twofold, one is, you know, um, why magic and not ETH? And then the other one is, like, if you are onboarding other projects uh, and I'm starting to work with them, like, why doesn't everyone just use magic and why do they need their own token? And that's uh, probably the, like the two kind of big kind of design principles that we think I'm um, thinking through. I mean, ETH like, obviously has a, a very big role and it's kind of the the granddaddy so to speak we kind of see ourselves as nearly like the, the eth of the metaverse um in some ways and then like the other um tokens are nearly the, the erc20s um to us and i think the why you need a, a separate token as as distinct from kind of eth is that you i feel personally um and i, I think it's so so to others as well that you need some element of monetary supply control um over what you're doing and if you were to just use eth um by itself, you don't really have any control. And that's one of like a huge lever that you can't pull um, to drive economic activity mm -hmm. um, because a lot of this is all around balance. Um, and we're very fortunate to have, um, so Peter, he's a PhD, economics kind of, kind of game theory. He can really bring like really robust kind of modeling and kind of scenario planning um, around like the, the give and take of that, but it's, it's an ongoing kind of balance um, for us. But that's kind of one on the, on the ETH, on the ETH kind of versus magic side. And we, um, again, we're kind of positioning that as like this kind of underpinning. I think as we move to the, towards the treasure chain, 
um, the utility of magic will become more around like a, a base like kind of token if you kind of think about it and supporting the infrastructure so nearly kind of um, validating the the network itself and then also being a, a key kind of utility as part of the any form of infrastructure the marketplace the amm that we're building um, blending kind of borrowing uh, magic will play a key role um, if we move into kind of stable coins which have been kind of thrown around as well um, that magic will play a key role in that so you kind of think of it as nearly the infrastructure play in a lot of ways and then on the it's kind of nearly the same principle when we think about other projects onboarding as well, uh, which is to say, if you're a separate project and you've got your own game economy, then I don't really think you can make that work if it's just solely magic in some ways, because the design principles for magic are not really going to be um, you know, fit for purpose for building out like a very expansive um, ecosystem where the stakeholders um, of magic are not going to be aligned with the stakeholders of your game itself. And I think that that's the tension that you kind of face kind of see it a little bit with the eu right um like a, a shared currency uh where the, the mm -hmm. stakeholders aren't aligned in each of the um the jurisdictions or nation states uh, and that's one of the i think the hardest parts to, to balance and you know we've only been around for seven months um so it's not that long we're still kind of feeling out uh where this is all going to take us yeah yeah i mean i think when I, you know, I'm a builder myself. And so when I first heard about treasure, basically understanding kind of how magic works and how it kind of brings all these different projects together, uh, you know, that made a lot of sense to me that like you need a utility, you know, it, as your own project, making your own token, there's a lot of risk with that. And there's a lot of work just to make a token valuable and to give it utility. And so being able to kind of enter into the treasure ecosystem and use a token that's already valuable uh, makes a lot of sense um, from a, a builder perspective. And so, yeah, I think that's that's one of the, the pretty cool things. Uh, but I, I can see kind of like you're saying where projects still may need to have their own token for certain cases where they want to have utility that's very specific to their game and kind of have that control with it to where they can you know, mint it out on a schedule that makes sense for their project and reward people in different ways. Um, and so I can see where that makes sense as well. Um, but obviously, you know, things get more complex, the more tokens you have involved and the more projects you have and stuff like that. And I think that's maybe been one of the interesting challenges with, you know, trying to onboard, onboard new people to the space to like understand how this all kind of works together. Um, so, but that's, that's awesome. I, I mean, there's so many things you can do with this infrastructure that you guys have created. So yeah, definitely um, and, interesting to watch. And just starting to touch on that as well. I mean, um, you make a really good point and that's kind of how we see magic as well. Like it, it does allow, um, like bootstrapping of certain economies and different projects to that point, because you don't necessarily want to create something new with a new token, um, because it is confusing. It doesn't have any value necessarily. Um, and you have to kind of prove that out, particularly if you, you're relying on you know an LP um, and have to build out that LP pool. It can take a long time to kind of gain that trust, um, and it's highly volatile at the start. So, I think onboarding with Treasure just more generally, um, and this is putting aside Magic, just allows you to kind of bootstrap into an established community, very very kind of passionate both from a user perspective and builders, and then Magic and you know the actual NFTs themselves um, provides that kind of unifying glue, so to speak, which can be used across the broader ecosystem which again kind of creates value so um, immediately for, for what you're doing. I mean, we typically kind of want to work with people who are very kind of long-term minded, uh, long-term perspective. Uh, so, you know, we'll work with them on their kind of tokenomics, uh, so to speak, to make sure that like they're thinking through the, the right faucets and sinks um, for their own kind of NFTs and, and tokens. 
Um, and to the extent that it makes sense, uh, you know, we can help them with magic grants or kind of emissions of magic as well, um, which we've kind of got approved through the DAO. I mean, Butterfly as an example, that's probably one of the most established partner projects kind of built on the treasure ecosystem. They use magic um, at the core, which I think is great. Um, it helps like build this kind of network effect of, of demand for, for magic, which we, you know, the density of demand, we kind of call it. Um, in a lot of ways, and we definitely see more projects doing that. But over time, they may get to a stage where they need to release something um, which is native to the ecosystem or to their, um, you know, to their project because they need more control over like the the in-game economy, which I totally get. So it's more of a you know a spectrum and a timing, I think, perspective. Mm -hmm. So the other way, kind of, to think of it is like you know, magic is nearly the denomination of debt <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, like kind of the USD is. If you kind of think about it and so mm -hmm. you kind of kind of denominate magic like denominate your kind of assets in in magic um doesn't necessarily need to be the means of exchange um but it if you kind of back your assets against uh, a magic value which you're actually doing through the magic the treasure marketplace because everything's denominated in magic um that helps kind of create this kind of robustness around um the magic itself or magic itself um as you know the like central i guess asset uh that people deem uh as you know I guess the most valuable and it helps kind of stand up your particular asset as well. Um, naturally your project itself needs to kind of be able to stand on its own two feet, but it's just a, a good anchoring tool um, for, for new people. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, let's see. So I want to jump to, I have a couple questions from the community, from the treasure community. And so this first one, we kind of jumped around this a little bit, but Vincent wanted to know, what are your biggest cha challenge transitioning from web two to web three in your career? And what advice do you have for people looking to make that same transition? Yeah, great question. Um, shout out to Vincent. I know Vincent is um, uh, one of the passionate kind of community members kind of there yep. from um, um, one of the early days, but yeah, good question. I'd say just like the pace of change, actually. Um, you know, it's this kind of ongoing meme, but uh, you kind of go from, it's definitely not nine to five, but uh, relatively manageable hours in, um, in I guess, corporate corporate world to something that is 24-7 um, in Web3, <clears throat> particularly with like distributed teams all over the world, just getting adjusted to time zones and like nearly always being switched on. Uh, it's really hard because uh, Discord is always on. There's always something happening. You know, if you use Slack, it's always happening. Twitter, there's something abuzz. Like it's just, you're just rotating through um, each time zone and then the market is never ending it's <laughs> it's again 24 7 so i think actually one of the hardest things is like being able to manage like the mental state of adjusting to this always on mentality because you just get burnt out really easily and you hear this from a lot of builders um you need to kind of find your own personal time and look after your like, mental health physical health and family first first and foremost in my mind um otherwise you're never going to be as productive as you, you can be so it's you kind of get sucked in because you go down this rabbit hole like everyone does that when they first go into crypto and you just want to put all your passion and, and energy into there and you do but you invariably just kind of burn yourself out because you, you find yourself awake you know um at the wee hours of the night um just like <laughs> churning out some stuff talking to um your teammates but then you're sleeping like one hour two hours but you haven't really looked after yourself or your family and then it's like well what am i doing you're working like literally seven days so i think the the life adjustment is the, the hardest part and just getting your priorities straight um, getting a process routine um, is probably the best part, actually. And I'd say the other mm -hmm. one is, you know, a lot of people still working from home, um, and you actually just need that kind of routine of like get up in the morning, 
goes uh, it's, it's that other kind of meme of you know people waking up doing their um, meditation going to the gym 10 times but it's kind of funny because uh, it is kind of true you do need to set a routine in place if you're waking from home like get out of the house do some exercise um, wake up at the same time otherwise you just kind of fall into this lull of this constant state of working um, yeah. which is not healthy yeah it's it's uh, it's so easy to be glued to your office and uh not really leave um, when it's at your home all your food's there everything you need is already there so you're just kind of you don't even go outside in the day <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's sad it's sad there were long periods of time where I, I literally didn't leave um leave the house mainly because of covid but also because of, of work i just didn't need to i was starting to like get all the groceries delivered all that kind of stuff it was yeah i, I kind of took a, a step back I was like oh this is not healthy <laughs> this yeah. is not healthy at yeah. all something needs to change for sure. Yeah, that was some good advice. Um, I, so this is a question from Charlie. I feel like this is maybe searching for a little alpha, but his question is, what's the longer term vision for Toadstools? The Toad map mainly just tells us what you can do in the game, but I would love to hear more about the future plans. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Toadstools is like kind of very open in, in kind of nature. Um, we're kind of working through like how much kind of alpha <laughs> to kind of to kind of leak, so to speak. But I think the big thing there from like design principles is that we just want it to be fun. So having worked at Treasure and just kind of observing the general industry, like a lot of kind of gaming is very oriented around the earn kind of side of things. Um, and there's this kind of grind mentality to it, this kind of yield farming mentality, um, which invariably does just get too much focus on like yield ROI um, all the time. And it's quite hard to kind of manage that such that it doesn't just go to zero. And you also attract a certain type of person um, what we're kind of trying to do with uh, with Toadstools is have like bring fun back to, to gaming uh, and kind of help cross that chasm into to people who just generally want to have fun. It's not a financial incentive. That's not the reason why you play. You play because you actually want to um, hang out with people um, on kind of Web3 in a, in a kind of good good manner. And we, I think we've been able to kind of bring people together through what we call the Croaky Challenges um, and actually helped establish quite a lot of the early groups in the Treasure ecosystem because it's um, Toadstools actually was created uh, pre-Christmas. It's probably the first um, ecosystem project. It took a long time to kind of launch because we're all part-time. Um, but having that as the kind of the core of like people working together, um, having fun, really leans heavy into, I guess, you know, Pokemon slash uh, Animal Crossing vibes uh, and kind of touches mm -hmm. uh, on a lot of the kind of childhood games that, um, you know, brought joy to us. And so a lot of it is going to be around kind of slice of life. Um, collecting things is a really big thing. Um, and just kind of working together. So there's not kind of much more that I can share right now other than, you know, it's really just going to be around like having fun with friends uh, and collecting things <laughs> uh, and within, a, I guess, a really rich kind of narrative as well. So we've got this amazing kind of uh, writer who kind of works for, he writes for NBC, uh, Skunk is his kind of alias. Um, and so he wrote for kind of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, kind of Saved by the Bell, kind of the new version, like amazing writer, but kind of weaving that into like the NPCs. Um, of the mm -hmm. game uh, and kind of bringing that to life. It's just loads of fun uh, to do that. And that, that's kind of what we want to um, resurface, just the fun aspect yeah. of gaming. Yeah, that sounds great. I've, I've definitely seen that myself, like with all the like the play to earn and stuff, there's kind of this conflict of, you know, making games that, you know, people can make good money or real money off of versus like just having fun. Um, and that's like a very hard thing to get that balance right and, and get that conflict right. And I think like you're saying, I think mostly what we've seen in the crypto gaming is like it's all kind of leaning towards the money because it's like when there's money involved people just kind of go for that <laughs> and um, <laughs> then there's yeah. not really any fun to be had so that's definitely a, a tricky a tricky balance there so 
um, yeah, it sounds like you guys are on a good way to figuring that out with Toadstools, which is which is cool. <clears throat> um, let's see. So last question. This is from preeminent or small preeminent Mike, uh, which I'm sure you probably know him too. I do. I do. Where do you see treasure by the end of 2022? Oh, 2022. What's that? Um, what are we looking at? eight months or so. <laughs> That's a long time in crypto. It's, <laughs> it's a hard one because um, not really sure where the macro market is going to go. Um, and so I think having lived through like the 2018, 2019 bear, um, you get a lot of changing of the guard, I suspect, because like the very heavy financially driven um, kind of community members, I suspect are going to dissipate because it's going to be rough times for them. I've, I've lived through that. It, it is pretty, pretty hard. Um, but you kind of need to focus on uh, on building, and actually, it's a great time for builders because you can just focus on that and not worry about you know the price too much. Like hopefully, it kind of you know bottoms, so to speak, and then we can just focus on building uh, fundamentals. Uh, but I think by then, I I would hope that we have like Bridgeworld as this kind of you know economic center, so to speak, that nearly forms the anchor point for all the other uh, cartridges, so to speak, to kind of plug into. Will be up and firing. Um, you know, it would ideally move to something that's a little bit more higher fidelity. Um, from that sense, um, small brains, I can see like as a brand, smalls as a brand, I kind of see that it is something like very expansive that the community has kind of picked up, taken out, made, um, built out kind of laterally um, in this kind of under the notion of like, you know, CC0, but really empowering the community to kind of take it in really creative directions. So I kind of see that as another big one. Um, the actual treasure marketplace itself will still kind of be the anchor point, but I would think we'd have at least kind of maybe one um, other kind of partner project could be Butterfly, it could be another one that we haven't even seen before um, as like nearly flagship in the sense that it's a partner project that we're plugging in. Uh, so we're really hearing that and it's, in, in it's having, uh, I guess, a third party to really pull in, um, you know, this next kind of wave of users. And I think hopefully, you know, it's something, again, that's more high fidelity at, at the moment than what we currently see because a lot of gaming is really just kind of tabletop. Uh, and then I think kind of big progress on kind of moving towards that, that narrative of like treasure as the kind of base layout. I don't necessarily think we will be fully there yet, um, but definitely having um, a lot more kind of meat on the on the bones there uh, and having a lot more kind of a crystal clear narrative around like what that actually looks like um, and kind of building towards that. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a great future. I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, it made me think of another question because so I got into crypto probably beginning of 2020. And so I haven't really gone through a bear market myself. So I'm just curious, like, you know, you went through it what was that like as a builder and how did you, you know, how did you push through that? Yeah, good question. I mean, um, so I, I was working kind of in the space, but in a different way, uh, more in a kind of consulting uh, kind of capacity with some um, some friends. So it's slightly different, but at the same time, uh, you know, still felt the pain, so to speak. I think the big difference back then, you know, that came off the, the end of 2017 um, ICO craze where, uh, like 99% of projects back then were scams. Like it, it was pretty bad. Um, we didn't have any of the infrastructure that we have right now. Um, like DeFi wasn't a thing. Like NFTs were kind of, I mean, there was the originals back then, but like it wasn't really a thing. Um, we hadn't picked up from any form of scale at all. You didn't really have like the, the quality that you have now. So when you went into 2018, as the market was kind of going into its big drawdown, I think there were really serious concerns and legitimate that it was going to zero or going to near zero. <laughs> so mm-hmm. say, are we actually going to make it? Uh, so, uh, you know, F, I think reached like 80, $80 mark um, 
And this wasn't because of Black Swan wow. event, like, you know, March 2020. This was like legit, uh, wow, are we actually going to make it? Because we, um, you know, somehow the, the, the Lord is punishing us for all the scams that were just <laughs> put through in the ICO phase. Um, we hadn't really <laughs> kind of proven out um, all the um, infrastructure that we need. But I think as you kind of dug in a little bit deeper and really believed in, I guess, the, the original thesis of what, like, Ethereum is, you know, a smart contract platform, kind of BTC in terms of like that um, sovereign form of money or like stateless form of monies. Um, and if you still believed in that, it's like, well, nothing's changed there. Uh, and in fact, if you kind of consider the macro market and just like what's happening in the Web2 world, it actually just built the case up even more. It was really just like a, you had to kind of take a step back and remove yourself from the prices, um, which was really hard to do because you know, most people literally probably bought the top. So they were wearing like 90% drawdowns. Um, but then yeah. as you kind of started bubbling along and you started speaking to other people, you really got a sense of like, there's actually some really amazing stuff being built um, and some really intelligent people um, in this space. Uh, so put aside kind of um, money and kind of prices for, for a while uh, and just keep on building. And actually, you know, they say bear, bear marks are the best time for building. And it's 100% true because by the time you kind of hit your stride, uh, the market would have turned to the next phase and you're actually best positioned to kind of scale up when the market does turn rather than, you know, trying to do it when the market's already turned. So that's kind of one, just finding the right people, other builders um, of kind of like minds uh, is I think a, a big one because um, otherwise you, you can get sucked in uh, into the narrative. Like crypto Twitter can be pretty toxic place at times, extremely uh, reflexive. So just being able to find um, the right people to kind of to, to jive with uh, is probably key. Yeah, no, that's some good advice. That that makes sense because, you know, I'm I'm starting to get into being in the builder side myself, and uh, yeah, I I think that, I mean, I think that crypto long term is going to be a really good place. I feel like if you know anyone's kind of building in the space, learning, growing right now, like you're probably going to be at a pretty good spot. Hopefully, later when everyone else is coming over. Um, so yeah, that's that. You know, basically the idea is if you can just persist and kind of get through the bear markets, get through those hard times, learn along the way, like you'll probably be at a pretty good spot. Um, so yeah, that was that's some good advice. Yeah, definitely. It's actually like one of the again one of the ironic but kind of funny things like with um, crypto Twitter and the I guess the traders, but they all talk about you no, know, you just need to survive. Um, don't like <laughs> blow yourself out like on leverage or trying to trade you know every kind of um, peak and trough. You just need to kind of survive. Like risk management is a big thing that people in crypto generally forget about completely. Um, but you just need to make it through the cycle. If your thesis and the underlying fundamentals haven't changed, you just need to make it through through this. Um, and actually, I think the, one of the biggest differences is that the amount of funding uh, and capital getting poured in through like VCs and funds, like even today, I think I saw multiple funds being established in like the hundreds of millions of dollars and the potential like billions of dollars. That did not exist back then. So there are a lot of very smart people who um, are very kind of like they're taking a long-term uh, interest in the space and that that's only encouraging. Um, and so mm. lots of great stuff happening and kind of, again, strip away prices and think about um, like the, the underlying kind of drivers. And, you know, we're, I think we're in a really good spot, much, much different from 2018, I'd say. Yeah. Hugely different. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good to hear. Um well, awesome. Thanks, Garp, for being on and sharing with us all this information, sharing about Treasure Dow, sharing what it's like to be building. Um, so I really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening does as well. Um, really looking forward to seeing what you guys do with Treasure and how you keep growing and building things. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, watching and I'm sure a lot of others will as well. So thanks for coming. 
No, thank you. Um, it's been great chatting. All right. Have a good day and we'll see everyone in another episode.